Welcome to the Saving Lives Podcast. Today, for historical context, is the 19th of February of 2021. And the reason why I always say the historical context is because I don't want somebody to listen to this when GeoPrez is taken off the market. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Later on. Again, not that I think it's going to be taken off the market. I'm just trying to make a joke here. Please don't, don't right. get mad at me, uh, La Jolla Pharmaceuticals. <laughs> So today on the podcast, I have uh, the great Rishi Kumar, cardiothoracic, uh, cardiac anesthesia, uh, also intensivist and the man of many talents. Um, also, in addition to that, you can find him on many, many social media sites, including TikTok, where you can find his dancing videos. No, I'm just kidding. I, I so do not. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, both Rishi and I do not do TikTok, sorry, it's just not our thing. But uh, you could find them on his website, rk.md, which is the shortest URL I've ever seen. <laughs> one day, one day we got to talk about how you got that URL. But also his handle on Instagram is rishi.md. Um, in addition to that, he's got a YouTube channel. What's the what's the handle on the YouTube channel? Um, everything else is rishi kumar md. Okay, so and that includes Twitter as well. Mm-hmm. So there are a bunch of great places to find Rishi's content. Again, he's a huge uh, medical education guru, has probably combined half a million followers on all his platforms and kind of a celebrity. But more so, more so of a celebrity than he is, we obviously have Andy, his puppy. I had to actually put him in the like bedroom. Otherwise, he'd be stomping around all over here. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay, too. Well, uh, but for those people who are listening to the podcast, you know, we're both in our respective homes right now. You're just a little bit colder than I am, even though you're not wearing a lot of clothes, <laughs> relatively speaking. So what I hear everybody's doing in Texas right now. But the, 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 whole, the whole conversation today is going to be uh, based upon Geopreza, which is a relatively new vasopressor. Also, synthetic angiotensin 2 is um, is what it is. And we all know that angiotensin II is a vasoconstrictor. It's actually, we've actually known it's been a vasoconstrictor since the 1930s. It's just that now they put it into a drip form and we're starting to give it to patients. <clears throat> Excuse me. The, the reason why I've brought Rishi on board to um, discuss this is because I myself have zero experience with Geopreza. I've never used it. My, farm, my hospital does not have access to it as of today. And uh, I've, I've, I've honestly been skeptical about the data. And I, I say that as openly as possible because I do know the lead author of the Athos 3 trial. He's an attending now at the institution where I did my fellowship and I hear great, great things about him. And then in addition to that, I, I actually posted about this yesterday on my Instagram and my podcast. But I reached out to the lead author of that study, who's a pharmacist um, up at Mayo Clinic, and he was super, super gracious with his time and his energy. And he gave me like a very thorough, I mean, it was a very, very thorough uh, response to my, to my questions. I mean, one of the things I recommend to the people who are listening, if you want to reach out to somebody, just go ahead and reach out to them. <laughs> Chances are they're going to be very gracious with their time and, and want to teach you things. So I learned a lot from him. But that being said, it's not about me here that you're here today. <laughs> it's about your experience, Rishi, with using Geopreza. So my, my first question is just going to be, how long have you been using this medication in your practice? So it's interesting because I, 
the Hathos trial was from 2017, but before that, I was at an institution that actually was using it kind of as an experimental medication um, when I was still a critical care fellow. And my very first experience, I'll tell you my very, very first experience, I was actually on a MICU elective. I wasn't even in like attending role or anything. I was on an elective. We had a patient on three pressors and, you know, typically you'd say, all right, this is the end of the line. This is like, you know, there's nothing to do at this point. It just so happened that that was the day that we were starting to use this kind of on an experimental basis. So I was like um, rounding with the pharmacist and and he was like, yeah, you, do you want to try this out? And I was like, uh, I've, do we actually have it? I was like, I've heard about it. I don't actually know the dosing or anything like that. Long story short, we gave it, it was a patient with septic shock, three pressors on antibiotics, just you know, positive cultures, despite antibiotic therapy, all that bad stuff. And went from three maxed out pressors to like one and off the angiotensin to the next morning. Um, now, what's to say, you know, obviously N equals one in this situation. What's to say this wasn't going to happen anyways. Maybe right. this was like a flash sepsis or things were going to get better with time regardless, as long as we just hung in there. But it was very impressive how quickly we were able to wean pressers. And it coincided. That's the part of me that's just like, oh, this must have helped a little bit because it's coincided with the initial infusion um, followed by kind of down titrating it per the um, protocol. The next time I used it actually was not until my cardiac fellowship. I didn't use it for the rest of my critical care fellowship, but I used it a couple times during cardiac. And it was always for profound vasoplegia post cardiopulmonary bypass. And we didn't follow necessarily the typical protocol for that. We would start them at 10 nanograms per kilogram per minute and occasionally scale up to 20. But the point was, they were refractory to norepinephrine, phenylephrine, vasopressin, all of our typical afterload agents that we use on bypass. And at that point, it was still more of a, hey, if you want to use this, you got to justify its use. Yeah. So we had to write a note saying basically like, look, we've tried X, Y, and Z, oftentimes including methylene blue, and none of it's working. And we really think it's vasoplegia because everything else is fine. The pump flows are steady. The hematocrit's fine. And, you and know, this all was that on pump? Taken care of. This is on pump. Wow. Um, and we, we were doing it. And, you know, I know there was, after the data came out, there was this concern about venous and arterial thromboses and all of that. Mm -hmm. But at that point, we were more just like, this is probably two cases during the entire year. Um, one of which I was kind of peripherally involved with, but the only other option at that point was you leave them on bypass or put them on ECMO rather, right. transport to CV and just like hope for the best that the vasoplegia resolves. Um, but during the bypass run, if they were going to be hyperperfusing, that would have been bad. So with just yep. low blood pressures. As, a, as an attending now, I've used it for more or less the same purposes, but the justification is different. Now I actually have to put a formal note in the record. It's even got a title, Angiotensin 2. It's got its own specific type of note. <laughs> That's crazy. Saying that I, I need to use it for the same thing, justifying. It's, it's all because of cost, right? Like this right. ultimately boils down to cost. Right. And, uh, and, and let me tools. interrupt you here for a second. For sure. those who don't know, um, when you look up the cost of the medication, and again, this is what I'm finding on up to date right now. For each ml of the medication, it's eighteen hundred dollars. 
So $1,800. But again, I don't know how long one ML lasts or like how you dilute it or anything like that. But that's, there's that's a the high and a low expensive. concentration. Like um, when you when you dilute it out, our pharmacists they they make it for us. The obviously they don't trust oh, us to do this in <laughs> yeah, the operating room. I, it's basically gold. <laughs> but um, you know, I every time I've used it, it's not a top sell for me. Assuming I've gone through the motions and you know justified its use. Um, our surgeons like it because it works. <laughs> uh, it, it does it does work, and I think you know kind of taking it back and applying it more to COVID and physiology. Like one thing we struggle with a lot in patients that are under anesthesia is if they have received an ACE or an ARB, um, these patients have routinely profound vasoplegia under anesthesia. Oh yeah. This is kind of the perfect drug for it because you're giving them what they don't have. You're literally right. giving them the end product that they're manufacturing. Same thing for COVID. If your lungs are trash and you decrease synthetic activity of ACE and you know your ACE enzyme, maybe try this. Uh, if they're really having big, big issues with shock, which doesn't always tend to happen early, tends to be mm. late multifactorial and whatnot. But uh, I think in the next five, 10 years, this is going to become once, <laughs> once it goes generic, I think it's going to become much more um, widely utilized for a number of indications. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely interesting. Um, because the, the, it just makes sense from a mechanistic standpoint that you're going to be giving angiotensin two, and angiotensin yeah, yeah. two is angiotensin two, so it, right. it, it should work. I mean, there's no there's no surprise there. Um, it's just more or less teasing out what is going to be the patient population that's going to benefit the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you mentioned, for example, using it on on patients who have cardiopulmonary bypass related vasoplegia. Could you just quickly talk to, about what that is for the people who do not know? I know because you and I speak the same language there, but mm-hmm. there are people who have never heard the term vasoplegia before. Mm-hmm. So basically, there there's kind of a need for a universal definition for vasoplegia. This is one thing that's been lacking, and many people from yep. multiple disciplines have stressed the need to have. But in my mind, the mechanisms for this are also multifactorial. When we put patients on cardiopulmonary bypass and we arrest them, um, electrolyte shifts, fluid shifts occur certainly, but more importantly, when we cool some of these patients, that can certainly affect how their venomotor t- vasomotor tone is affected, uh, even during the rewarming. See, there he is. There he is. Yeah. <laughs> For those listening to the uh, podcast, Andy just made his appearance. It only took 12 minutes. Appearance. Hey, that's right. Um, but the other thing that kind of the overlying, I guess, um, theory is you get the SIRS-like response. So similar to what we're seeing in sepsis, where you have basically exposed the patient's blood volume to plastic tubing, that's not physiologic. And then your body's going to be upset and mount this inflammatory response that affects everything, all the vascular beds. Um, typically when we are on pump and we've arrested the heart, all we have to maintain cardiac output is a pump and vasomotor tone. Our perfusionist colleagues, they're able to maintain cardiac output literally on a knob. And we, from our end, from the anesthesia end, are utilizing multiple medications to maintain vasomotor tone. Now, some patients works really well. Some patients, they need a lot of help. And especially the patients who are elderly on multiple medications to already modulate their adrenergic system, aka they're on lots of beta blockers and blood pressure medications, ACE inhibitors, ARBs, all these things. They are challenging. Um, 
though we are using, I like to use norepinephrine if that doesn't work, vasopressin, because I'm getting just what I need, the vasoconstriction. But occasionally, rarely, but occasionally, we will need to escalate to something like A2, geopressa, Mm -hmm. hoping that that is enough. Now, before this became a thing, we were using methylene blue, even cyanokit. I used B12 maybe right. twice during my fellowship, which are also expensive medications. Right. And, and so sorry to interrupt you again, but yeah. <clears throat> for those who don't know, the cyanokit costs about $5,000 a dose. Ballpark, don't, don't quote me on that. It's I roughly, just, yeah. my, my research has shown that, <laughs> but it's, go ahead. It's ridiculous, right? Like when I'm hanging these medications, I'm thinking, well, there goes a car, there's a mortgage payment, here's, you know, a new computer. Like these meds are crazy. But from, from my standpoint, at least in my limited experience with these very potent medications like A2 and cyanokid and whatnot, for the purposes of vasoplegia, I, I like angiotensin too, man. I, I like the mechanism. I like how it's, you know, it's something your body normally makes. Right. It's got implications for aldosterone release, you know, other things that are important as well. So, um, Yeah. I wasn't going to go down the whole, the whole platform of like the mechanistic <laughs> aldosterone thing. Cause I, yeah. I was going to just put everybody to sleep and yeah, sorry. It is. no, no, I, well, you know, it's, it's important to note those cause those are the secondary effects that one could expect from it. Yeah. Um, but again, for, for this type of platform, that's just, and, and again, you have, you have to be out in a little bit. Um, so you're talking about patients in the OR who you're giving it to. And I, and I bet you're probably giving it to some people as well who are status post bypass, they're off pump, they're in the CVICU. Do you use a particular SVR to cardiac index uh, ratio or any type of like SVR? And SVR, for those who don't know, is systemic vascular resistance. You usually get that number from the Swan-Gans catheter that these people come out with, or different institutions might use technologies such as the NICOM, the Cheetah, the FlowTrack to kind of give you those parameters to some degree with, with intrinsic limitations, of course. Yeah. You know, in, in the OR, it's a little difficult to use those as effectively just because open chest, continuous flow mm-hmm. physiology, um, the PA catheter, especially if you're on pump is not doing anything. There's not much yeah. flow past the actual catheter itself. So it's kind of meaningless for me on pump, but Perry, like between coming off pump and before we go to the ICU, I, I don't want to take you know, unstable patients to the unit. So if I need to start it, I'm going to start it right there. But sometimes, you know, this vasoplegia evolves uh, postoperatively. I do like using some sort of device, especially most of my patients, if not all of them have a PA catheter. Mm-hmm. I like using, you know, I like numbers, yeah, but assuming <laughs> the numbers are actually being used, how they've been validated. So if they're having any kind of weird arrhythmia or anything like that, I'm, you know, SOL. But if they're, if they're sinus rhythm, um, closed chest, you know, then I have to use something objectively to help me wean pressors off. Mm -hmm. It's hard for me to get a bedside echo on these patients on post-op day zero, unless I'm repeating a TE, um, which for like heart transplants, lung transplants, it's a better option because those patients, if they get unstable, you really need a good look at the heart. But Numbers are good. Uh, if the chest is closed and they're on mechanical ventilation, they're still deeply sedated. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm using that SVR and it's going to help me a assess response. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's from the A2 because I've never run angiotensin 2 by itself. It's usually right. in addition to a you know jet fuel. 
Yeah. Um, but I want to try to come down on the other things and then maybe just get down to angiotensin two plus norepinephrine or something like that. Low doses. I'd rather have two meds at lower doses than mm -hmm. one at a really high dose. And, and two meds that are working on two different receptors. Because exactly. it's not like, exactly. oh, I have them on levofed as well as epinephrine. And you're like, well, exactly. you're kind of doing the same thing. You want to you wanna give them two different punches. But it's, it's yeah. funny to me how, you know, we trained in, in different areas of the country and we use the same, we use the same like lingo. <laughs> like you call yeah, it jet yeah. fuel, I call it jet fuel. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> uh, you know, you were using the same terminology for vasoplegia description. It's like, hey, you're running blood through a bunch of plastic. I'm like, hey, that's what I say. Yeah, yeah. The body does not like to be run yeah. through plastic. No, no, it, it really doesn't. Um, the other thing I'd add, and I'm curious to see where upcoming data is going with um, angiotensin 2, how it affects the pulmonary vascular resistance. Mm -hmm. and, and not just like one study. You know, the original vasopressin studies, they weren't done in vivo. They were just kind of, you know, grafts of vessels and seeing how they respond to um, different pressors. But using angiotensin 2 in combination with something like milirnone, because mm -hmm. I, what I do is milirnone and vaso. That's a common combo for me mm -hmm. to get kind of offset the side effects of systemic vasodilation. It'd be interesting to see how much A2 really affects the pulmonary vascular resistance over the systemic vascular resistance. Yeah, and, that, and that's very important because one of the things that is theoretically known is the fact that uh, vasopressin is more gentle to the pulmonary vascular mm -hmm. resistance compared to other vasopressors, which is not as gentle for, <laughs> for, like mm -hmm. a, for the sake of simplicity, excuse me. Um, so in patients who have like high PA pressures, pulmonary artery pressures, you want to try to avoid using uh, epinephrine or norepinephrine. And in those cases, vasopressin tends to be more gentle. So that's, that's the, the concept that Rishi is trying, is uh, elaborating on right now. Because it's, it's very fascinating. I mean, I, I love taking care of uh, cardiopulmonary bypass patients simply because they have two different types of shock simultaneously a lot of times. And it's yeah. basically they might be in, they might have a component of a cardiogenic shock because you just cooled their heart down. And then in addition to that, they have a distributive shock picture, which is what we call vasoplegia. I, I, I mean, I remember the first time I started saying vasoplegia in my current shop, everybody was looking at me like I was insane. They're like, what is that? But then again, I remember uh, when, I, when I started my fellowship, my first rotation was in the CVICU and they started saying vasoplegia. I'm like, what, ah. is, what, what medicine is this? Because right. you, know, you, you trained in anesthesia, so you got some sort of experience versus me being medicine trained. I was like, what's, what's a swan? <laughs> <laughs> There's like, what is this index nonsense? <laughs> Oh, like I'm used you to seeing out, cardiac right. output, not cardiac index. What's this? Body yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, in the areas we live, we definitely have to index patients to their body surface area. Oh yeah, I mean that's just that's just the United States thing, you know. Uh, that's you, true. That's you true. see it a lot. Every single study that you read with sick patients, the average BMI is at least 29. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? It's it's, it's insane. It's but anyway, so I was going to ask, with regards to the cost, do you get pushback from pharmacy? Do your pharmacist colleagues mm -hmm. like nudge you on the arm and say, hey, Rishi? Uh, you know, I, I got used to it very early and I get it. I mean, I get it. It's expensive. It's a huge uh, cost consideration. Um, but the, the long story short is if you've exhausted all other means and you've got medical justification, utilize it. I don't get pushback for it. Um, barring any shortages, um, but now at the same time, I'm not using it like water, not even close. Right, like right. I'm using 
like I said earlier, like we said earlier, jet fuel. And if it still doesn't work, and I really do think it's an SVR issue, I'm not missing anything else like Mm -hmm. refractory acidosis or some issue with the pump or anything like that. Um, I, I don't really have to push back very hard. They, they just are, you know, make sure you write a note, justify it. And I'm like, all right, fine. Great. I'll do that. In, in my case, you know, I haven't made a push personally. I'm going to start making the push now. So <laughs> spoiler alert for the pharmacists who work with me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, and then obviously taking, taking what I learned from you um, and I could just say, Hey, look, Rishi, he has more followers than me on social media. Listen to They're going to be like, who's that? <laughs> no, everybody knows who you are. Your your pieces of paper are flying around my your your ICU uh what's it called? That that Excel Ooh, sheet, reference sheet. That reference sheet is circling around my my ICUs. Um oh my goodness. But in in all honesty, like I've never been I've never had trepidation to use it. I don't have anything against the drug. Mechanistically, it should work. Although it was a lot of fun that 27% of the people had in the in the Athos 3 trial had response to placebo. I know but, that see that's the weird thing right yeah but either way <laughs> and you know the change in the cardiovascular sofa score it's like yeah that means it works the other pressures went down but again we're speaking because we know these studies inside out but teasing the main issue I've had with the medication has actually been the concept of the cost and and I understand from an R&D perspective as well as a regulation perspective, the pharmaceutical company needs to make their money back that they put into this particular drug. So, right. the, and, and that's like a completely different, that's a completely different conversation um, where we could talk about all that stuff and just bore the crap out of everybody with that. <laughs> but I, I understand that the, that the pharmaceutical company needs to make their money back. But right now it seems to be quite prohibitive for the amount of people that it helps. And so one of the things, and I don't want to put words in the mouth of the author who I discussed this with yesterday. Again, he was very gracious with his time. And I'll, and I'll send the links out to, to these two articles. Is the fact that they're trying to tease out what would be the patient population in whom this would work the best. Mm-hmm. Um, because, mm-hmm. because ultimately, they're already, they are already on jet fuel. You don't want to use it when they're on so much jet fuel that nothing's going to work, of course, because right. that's, that's when they have the refractory acidosis, like you mentioned, and you know you don't want it to be a Hail Mary um, mm-hmm. last-ditch effort because the efficacy at that point is going to be awful, mm-hmm. but, but at the same time, not use it so early as to where it's just wasteful and you still had wiggle room. Yeah. So yeah. that's, that's what the, this uh, author was telling me yesterday, that they're trying to tease that out. And thankfully, they had, you know, these five different hospitals, which are all, <clears throat> excuse me, class A hospitals that have very good physicians and very good teams trying to, again, tease out that information very early from the onset of receiving that medication. It's not even like yeah. it was like within the last six months. It's like they've been compiling this data since they've had it. You know, I'd be curious to know if, and, and another way to kind of recoup justification for using it is if, and I haven't seen this practice, if you used angiotensin II first, instead of, you know, piling it on to existing pressors ionotrope therapy, would you be able to shorten ICU length of stay and overall hospitals, you know, like those metrics that are always, mm-hmm. co- there's cost considerations that are beneficial for those numbers. Uh, if you're able to reduce them. So that, that'd that be interesting. Like, oh, we didn't start norepinephrine for septic shock. Oh my goodness, you're committing heresy there. Yeah. We started angiotensin II instead and they were out of the ICU a day earlier. Like that would be huge. 
something like that. If that'll be that so up. hard to prove though. For sure. For sure. Especially with the cost, the way it is right now yeah. um, I, for uh, 100% agree. But in, in the future, I think that'd be an interesting thing to look at. Cause it's not often we get a new, you know, cool hemodynamic medication in critical care or um, cardiac anesthesia. So I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes. So, so you mean you're not going to start sprinkling in midodrine into your cardiac <laughs> anesthesia patients when they're on pump? Just so I can dialyze it off. <laughs> Oh, oh my man, goodness. Totally no, no. <laughs> what was that? No, 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 not going to happen. <laughs> but, you know, we're repurposing old drugs. So we got to, I know, right. At least have a, have a, what's it called? An open mind of sorts for, for these new drugs, especially when other, other new drugs like celepressin and terlepressin, um, yeah. which are analogs of vasopressin basically fell flat on their face. And uh, now they're actually looking for other indications for these medications. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with what happened with celepressin, that the phase one trial was successful. The phase two trial was it showed that uh, patients got off the vent faster. And again, I'm trying to recall this off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. And then the phase three trial was stopped early for futility. <laughs> and like the FDA oh, said, no, we're not going to go ahead and do it. And then terlepressin, the only indication that I see right now, which is in the, Euro- in the European countries, yeah. is for hepatorenal syndrome. But it's like, why not just use vasopressin? Exactly, right? <laughs> it's like it's possible. And we, we all know how to use vasopressin. It's not like terlopressin is going to be cheaper. <laughs> I know. It, it's just, you know, the, the article that was really helpful was that 0.03 versus 0.04 on vaso. I think that was super important. Yeah. Um, because that was something new to me. I was just like, you know, I grew up training with 0.04, 0.04. Right. How do you wean vasopressin or you just turn it off? I was like, eh, okay, I've kind of changed my practice regarding that, but I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. This is an angiotensin 2 talk. Yeah, well, we could, we could talk about vasopressin another day because I freaking love that drug. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and like, it's, it's, it's one of those, I mean, I just love all, all things critical care, but vasopressors is one of my, one of my things that I love very, very much. Um, I guess I guess we should end this podcast here because I know that you have to go uh, relatively soon and uh, drive safe on your on your pilot super sports. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. put it in the autopilot and go a whole like five minutes. <laughs> Why? Because it's only like five minutes away. The hospital, yeah. When I'm in the OR, it's only five minutes. When I'm in the ICU, that's like a 35 mile drive. But um, oh, because the... it's, it's a different hospital. It's the same system, same hospital system, but there are branches all over the city. So I work most of the time in the main one in the Texas Medical Center, um, which is five minutes away. But when I'm in this, these other ICUs, I, I go pretty far. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. I didn't know that. I thought it was all in the same, all in the same shop. Yeah, it's, it's all over, all over. That's, that's crazy. Well, that's good that those, that patient population gets the skills that you bring to the table too. <laughs> I hope they see it like that. <laughs> I'm sure they do, man. It's like, you're, you're definitely an asset, it's you know, awesome. you're, you know, your stuff inside out. And that's why, you know, you're the expert here on GeoPrezzo. Meanwhile, I'm just a spectator who's read like six articles. Oh, Although no. I'm, I'm trying to recall in, in, mm-hmm. In COVID, they're actually recommending against, and again, please don't don't quote me on this, but I think they're recommending against using angiotensin too in COVID. Was that actually specifically like looked into? Uh, there have been some like small studies where they've tried to tease it out that I looked at. Ah. And again, 
like I quickly looked at those studies, but I did not go in depth into them simply because mm -hmm. I don't have access to the drug. So it's not worth my time to sure, investigate sure. it. And you know, I like didn't know that. Six, they're like, I'll, I'll try to find the data so that I'm not talking smack. I feel like Rogan now, or like, I'm gonna have to backtrack this like later on and be like, you could use GeoPresident COVID. <laughs> That's but, why you start off with that initial disclaimer. As of today, as of this today, is <laughs> yeah, because you know, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get into trouble with all this uh later on but no, you're anyway. fine man all right well rishi it was great to have you onto the podcast um thanks for having me there are so many places i, I feel weird because i've never had a guest on but i feel like we've already done this so many times on uh, i know right so many times on instagram that it kind of feels normal <laughs> it's like it's not it's not like you have like the first date kind of quivers where you're meeting somebody and you're trying to figure them out it's like yeah ice like, is already broken yeah yeah, yeah. we we and we, we've told stories and all that nonsense. But again, make sure to follow Rishi on Instagram at RishiMD, his website, rk.md, and everywhere else like YouTube and Twitter, it's uh, Rishi Kumar MD. And don't forget to harass him to do a TikTok because I could tell that he's got those dancing skills. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah. We'll no, scroll I, the internet I, and do one together, maybe. <laughs> I, I can't. I can't do that. I can't. Like, good I for can't. the people who can. That's not gonna be my my deal. No, me neither. All right, everybody. Thanks for watching. Thanks for your support. Hope you all have a great day. Bye.